When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 304 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Alan Bailey from Football España. As I say with so many of the first-time guests now as we enter the 300s, Alan, I don't know how I didn't have you on the show before. With your work with Football España, you're a terrific reporter, not a reporter, but just content creator of the league, uh, La Liga. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to you, actually, that I haven't had you on earlier. How, how's it going? No worries, Dan. Uh, it's great to be here now anyway today, and I'm sure that we live on. A fruitful relationship heading forward as Barcelona continue to go from from strength to, to crisis and back to strength again with uh, the rival Xavi Hernandez. So one thing of Barcelona that is never shy of content, eh? And um, our eyes will always be fixed so firmly on uh, on Cap Nou and the blog owner. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take a flight on that earlier. Well, not early in the week, but on the second show of last week's show, Kevin Williams and I brought up Danny Alves and we, well, he did, but we dismissed it pretty quickly. Both him and I dismissed it. We're like, well, I mean, that doesn't, it seems like it's already out of the news cycle. We're done with that. And so today we're going to start with the main headline. Danny Alves has signed for FC Barcelona since the last time we spoke. And we're going to continue on. We're going to talk a little bit about Tierra Alcantara, Kareem Adegemi, because there are still rumors floating out there. And then Alan, obviously, with your rapport with Football España, covering the entire league, not just FC Barcelona. The rest of our show then today is going to be talking about how Barcelona could go from ninth in the table to potentially wherever they wind up, (laughs) whether that's up, whether that's down, and some of the other teams, because we myopically always look at Barcelona through the scope of FC Barcelona, and we look at the league through the scope of FC Barcelona and Real Madrid, but there's a lot going on in the league of this season. But we'll get to that later on. 
because we're going to start with Danny Alves. So as a neutral, Alan, I ask you, what were your impressions of that signing when you saw that it went down? I'm very pleased with the signing. I think it's great for Barcelona. It's great for La Liga uh, on several levels. I mean, obviously, there's qualities. There's his qualities as a footballer. I mean, of course, he's 38 years old. He isn't the player he was when he left for Juventus in the summer of 2016. But he's still probably the greatest right back in the history of the game. He's a competitive animal. Just last August, September, he led Brazil to the Olympic gold. He played every minute of every single game. So he's still a functional, capable footballer. He's not a, a geriatric who can only play one game in three. And the thing with Dani Alves, it has been said by several people, most notably, you know, Sid Lowe in recent times since the signing happened. While he's a jovial, full of life character, he is also a very, very serious competitor. And I have full confidence that while we can't speculate as to how much to contribute on the pitch from Barcelona, how many games they play between now and the end of the season, how many assists they contribute, how, um, how, how well he be getting up and down the right flank. What we do know is that from today, I'm pretty sure training has gone up octane because you have a guy who's a serious competitor. He was a key part of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team. Xavi knows this. That's why he brought him back. He's personal experience of how he is as a person. Um, so I'm pretty sure that, you know, in terms of the application to training across the squad, things will rise because not only is he coming into the squad with a winning mentality because Pique has that, uh, you know, you could say Marc-Andre Ter Stegen has that, uh, Jordi Alba has that, all these guys have that, Messi had that, of course. But what you have with Daniel is what you don't have with them is that this, this is a reprieve for him. This is a lease of life because he didn't have a club for the last three or four months since he left Sao Paulo in September. And that didn't end very well. It was quite acrimonious. And I've just come back from Brazil. So I know what the situation there is in terms of how he's perceived and all that kind of thing. There was a lot of, you know, discrepancy over money and over the way he was playing and the position he was playing and how he was playing. But let's not go there. But the point is that he knows now he has a chance between now and next November when the 2022 World Cup begins in Qatar. He is a period where he can do his best to get into Tite's TG squad for the World Cup. That's his primary ambition. So he's coming in with two goals. One is to rebuild the Barcelona team and the other is to get into that squad. And he's doing it knowing that had things gone a different way, had Barcelona chosen a different coach, there's every chance that he mightn't have been brought back to the club and he might have had to return to Brazil or go to Boca Juniors in Argentina or go to Mexico or something like that. And his chances of getting into TJ's squad would be reduced heavily. So he's combining this winning mentality and this calibre that's second to none, you could say, with this kind of reprieve of getting another chance, another shot, one last goal at the big time. You know? So it's a very potent mix. And um, as somebody who loves La Liga and who wants to see a strong Barcelona, not a banter club, I think that having Dani Alves back in the league is only good. All right. Well, geez, Alan, I mean, I have my notes and you hit every single one of my notes. So I'm, we're going to try to extend this segment just a little bit. You said don't go there about the Sao Paulo thing, but I do actually want to go there because it does say a lot about his motivations, where the reports are to believe that they had owed him about $2 million when he left. And if that number is to be believed... He's also arriving, I mean, the number we saw was one euro or whatever it was, what, thousand euros or something per week, which I'm not sure how true that is with his contract. I mean, he hasn't even officially signed it until Wednesday when he's going to be presented. So I'm not sure we know what those numbers are exactly. But what we do know is, as you said, this move does not seem for Danny Alves, where if he left a prior club, his boyhood club of Sao Paulo, to 
come back to Barcelona. Well, he left Sao Paulo. It wasn't to come to Barcelona. It was just to get another gig to go to the Olympics. But it shows that his motivations are purely twofold to help the club that he loves greatly, that had his best years, that turned him into the legend that he is in the game, where he was nothing but a consummate winner. And the, and the second part of that is, yes, to individually make sure that he reminds Brazilian fans who may have turned on him, but more importantly, the Brazilian national team that, hey, I was your captain. I played every single minute at the Olympics. We won gold and I'm going to be fine to play for 2022. I deserve to be there and I'm playing for FC Barcelona. And that shows you that my level is fully capable of doing so. And when you talk about the banter too, you mentioned about the winning and, you know, it is unfortunate because of Danny Alves that is resigning at 38. It's not the same that left. Sure. But it was interesting when he left that so many in the club and me included where I, you felt like they had to bring somebody new in that his he you were seeing a bit of a decline. It was happening where we knew that once his speed had been reduced just a bit and, you know, I'm over 32. And once you lose that half a step, defending is a lot, lot harder. But since that time, the reason we say banter is because 93.7 million euros were spent on Aless Vidal, Nelson Semedo, Musa Wage, Serginho Des and Emerson, all to dislodge Sergio Roberto. And now I guess you could add Mangetha to the miss, but to dislodge Sergio Roberto from that starting right back position where you're saying that Sergio Roberto's best position is midfield, but he, even as a midfielder, he's not a starter for Barcelona, yet he's a starting right back for, for all those reasons. And you want to, I actually, with the Sao Paulo thing, I, I want to ask you now with what you would, we haven't had many people be able to see because of the Brazilian league's availability around the world, as far as television rights and broadcasting rights, not everyone got to see the 22 appearances he made for Sao Paulo last season. And you mentioned he played in those 22 appearances, right midfield, attacking midfielder, center midfielder, defensive midfielder, and right back. Now, to me, it's more telling that at the Olympics, he played as the right back and every single match. And the question you get from Danny Alves is kind of where will he play for Barcelona? And as you mentioned, the most important part of this signing is in training, is in leadership, but... Will Xavi, will his friend use him on the field? I think so. And I was thinking about this today because obviously you've surged a new desk there at the moment who's probably the first choice right back, you could say. But he's obviously playing on the right wing in recent weeks. So I was wondering, you know, would he start him at right back and then keep Serginho out, out wide right and kind of have Danny Alves coming up behind him? Because he's mentioned in his press conference, Xavi, that he likes the idea of having wide players. And that's kind of a, a pep corner zone, you can see having players who kind of hug the touchline to kind of spread the play and give more options as well when you're on the ball. Or, you know, conversely, could you be playing Dani Alves out right wing and start Sergio Dest at right back? So there's several angles he could take, but one thing I think for sure is that when it comes to actually crossing a football, Dani Alves is the best option on the right side now because nobody can cross a ball like him. We don't know how his physicality is going to hold up. Um, because like the, the Brazilian league where he's been since 2019 is on a different plane to European football in terms of the way it's tactically organized, in terms of the conditioning, in terms of the way the players prepare themselves. It's completely different. So you can't really judge the way he played there against the way he's going to play in Europe again, especially in a league as competitive as La Liga, in an environment as high pressure as Barcelona. So there's question marks there for sure. Um, but I guess he has, what, six weeks between now and his debut? to be able to get into top shape. Right. And um, he's kept the fit. I follow him on Instagram and he's always posting <laughs> videos of him in the gym, you know, shirtless, all this stuff. Um, you know, his caption is good crazy. So I don't think that there is, like a lot of older players suffer mentally before they do physically. As in, they believe their body is breaking down before it breaks down. 
And that changes the way they play. It changes the way they commit to challenges, the way they commit to runs. And that's a big element, I think. I think when you doubt in your mind, that affects your physical composition. That can be a bit new idea for some people. Now, I don't know, but uh, that's what I think personally. And I reckon that Danny Alves is so bulletproof mentally and so self-confident that he won't have that at all. And he's going to be going in like a, I don't know, like a hare from day one. He'd be taking no prisoners in training. He'd be going at full tons, full, full capacity. So um, I reckon that if there is a glimmer of hope, he'll be able to extricate that hope and, and deliver, you know. And whether that's a right back or on the right wing, I don't know. I don't think it would be in central midfield. That was specific to Brazil. I think right. he'd be playing on the right flank. But uh, whether that's up high, high and wide, where he replaces Serginho or, 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 or it's right back, I don't know. But um, I reckon that he'll be there. Well, yeah, I think it starts that conversation, not even with right back, where if Sergio Roberto is returning to the midfield as one of those two pivots for Xavi, or maybe even as an interior, one of the two interiors for Xavi, who knows into what system and formation they're going to usually run out there. Uh, he has said, that being Xavi, that he is willing to change the formation based on the opposition, where he's willing to play the with the two pivots and the two interiors against a 4-4-2 but if he's against a 4-4-3 that he's willing to do a 4-3-3 depends on and the low against a low block he usually plays the 4-3-3 that is Xavi and if we can take what he's done in Qatar and try to translate that to what he'll do at Barcelona big question but you're right the one thing that he has the through line that he has really pushed through that being Xavi is that he really wants wide players and so we know that Danny Alves will be hugging the touchline somewhere but it's a matter of how far up the field and when you ask about that right winger depth chart it is Dembele if healthy, and the biggest if, obviously, for Barcelona's health. For all the injuries to Ansu Fati and even Roberto, looking at his recent two seasons, Roberto was never really on the field. PK, uh, Umtiti, no matter who you say, you know, injuries are everywhere in Barcelona's. Pedri, you know, no matter who you say, it's, it's all injuries. But Dembele, obviously, is the biggest if. And then there's Serginho Dest. But then there's that trio that we're seeing that Xavi's going to take a hard look at of Demir, Abde, and Ilasha Komash. So 17 and 18-year-olds and a 19-year-old in Abde. We don't know where that trio is going to fit. He might say, hey, these are all two inexperienced players. And now that right wing depth chart, if those three are kind of cast aside by Xavi for experience reasons, is just Dembele if he's fit and Dest. So very quickly, Danny Alves being a right wing option becomes ever present. Um, because outside of Dest and Dembele, it has to be Danny Alves as the third on that depth chart, if not for Demir Abde and, and Ilasha Komis, as I've said. Now, Xavi, you get the idea that he might even I, I'm not sure. I don't think he would go with Gabi on that right wing. I think he's going to keep Gabi as an interior and keep him in the middle of the field. It's where he fits most comfortably as a player. So again, Danny Alves, if he played six to 10 matches coming off the bench, sometimes maybe starting occasionally, that wouldn't surprise me. But if he also plays what 27 times, right across all competitions, depending on how far Barca get in Copa del Rey, if he plays 27 times, both as a starter and a bench option, that also would not surprise me. And the final point on Danny Alves, we wrap it up, the winning mentality that you spoke about, because you had mentioned that Pique and Alba and Ter Stegen, those are players that have dealt with a great number of pressure. They're players that have played in huge moments, but Danny Alves is nothing but a winner. He doesn't have that, to, to say that almost the same thing actually as Xavi, oddly enough. Of that generation, there is no knock on them. Xavi lost a bit at the beginning of his career, and then he was nothing but a winner until he, you know, until he hung it up. For Danny Alves, he's been nothing but a winner the entire time. Even with Sevilla, he led them to one of their greatest eras ever in the, in the center of the midfield as an attacking midfielder, then out wide as well. So Danny Alves, 23 trophies at the club. He basically left the club before that, you know, the great decline, if you will, of all the heartache and all the heartbreak. And I wonder, as you mentioned, 
if no shine has come off Danny Alves, that will inject a life that the rest of those experienced players like PK and Busquets and Alba and Ter Stegen just cannot because they've been they, they've been knocked down a peg. They've been the they, they, in their own minds. They become the team that is ninth in the Liga. And Danny Alves goes, hey, we're FC Barcelona. Don't we win trophies here? What are we doing here? I mean, that's, that's what I came here to do. Right. And I'm wondering how much I don't want to overdo that. But I also think that there's a great possibility that that is what Danny Alves is going to represent. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and just one last point on, on Danny as well. Like, I mean, he's from Bahia, northeast of Brazil. Yeah. And I spent a good time there recently. And, like, the northeast of Brazil is a special place because it's very hard scrabble. 
It's where, you know, the slaves first came from Africa. It's where the Portuguese had them initially. And it's the blackest part of Brazil as well. Salvador specifically in Bahia, which is close to where Danny is from in Jucazeiro. But like those people, without stereotyping and without, you know, kind of, you know, painting with a, a thick brush, are generally very hardworking and the people who come to Rio, to Sao Paulo as migrants and work their way up ladders and are discriminated against. They're, it's like, you know, they're the, the, the most discriminated against class in Brazil is the Northeasterners, you know. Mm. Um, so they work hard. They know they're tough. They know what it means to suffer. So I guarantee you that, like I said earlier, Danny will be coming in. Like he's never been comfortable. Like the Gerard Piquet, Sergio Roberto, Jordi Alba have all been comfortable since 2016 when Danny left. Danny has gone to Juventus. He's won. As you said, he's gone to PSG. He's won. He's gone to Sao Paulo. He's won. What They won the Paulista. Uh, even with Bahia, before he joined Sevilla, they won the, the Copa de Nordeste as well. So he's won everywhere he's gone, you know, and he's not been comfortable. He's not been safe. He's not been, ca- not careful, but he's not been conservative in decision-making, you know? So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yep. So we go from one actual Brazilian to a player that could have played for Brazil, but is a Spanish international. His brother, Rafinha, is a Brazilian international. That is Tiago Alcantara. So Danny Alves, again, I got bit last week because just like with Kevin, I said, well, I don't know. The Danny Alves thing probably not going to happen. So now the rumors about Tiago Alcantara, we have to take all these rumors seriously now. But Tiago at 30 years old, I feel like even Danny Alves, you could talk us in it for all the reasons that we said. I think you and I were both pretty positive about the Danny Alves signing. But Tiago, I think rightfully so that he's this really, really, really great player. But if it was a squad that only had a few players who are normally injured, I think people would be more on board. But 30 years old, played seven times this year, starting twice, has missed nine games due to a calf injury. I'm going to let you give your thoughts on Tiago. Then, I mean, I think I've already kind of lent my hand or led you into uh, where I would stand on the fact that Tiago, I think it would be a questionable signing if that financial, if the financial signing is even possible. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one because Tiago is a player who I've always rated really, really highly. Um, Like, I think he's probably the most aesthetically pleasing player to watch in the European game. I mean, like you said before, obviously you, you, you touched on it there, his kind of, his nationality is an interesting one because he said that while his sensations and his, his body feels Brazilian in terms of the way he moves and the way he interprets the physical side of life, the kind of sensual side of life, you could say, is Brazilian, his mind in terms of, you know, his, his culture, his, the way his mind works, the way he reads football, the way he eats the way he behaves on the day-to-day from an intellectual standpoint is Spanish and he feels Spanish and that's why he plays for Spain whereas Hafinha has different stories from a different uh, slightly different circumstances from, from Thiago you can say Thiago being a few years older and that's why he's playing for Brazil but I think Thiago pairs that dichotomy perfectly because he plays with that kind of you know sensual intuition that we associate with Brazilian football and he pairs that with tactical discipline that he learned from La Masia, from Barcelona from Pep Guardiola at both Barcelona and Bayern Munich, of course, you know, so he has that perfect kind of synergy, you could say, of these two famous footballing cultures. That's leads in his player. But regarding where he is now, I don't know. I think that it's unfortunate for him that he's gone to Liverpool when he did, because, you know, that wasn't a Liverpool team that was conducive to allowing a newcomer to settle, given the way they played last season, the beginning especially. It was tough for him to get into the groove, if that makes sense. Um, and obviously the challenge from Richardson in the Merseyside Derby in October of that year, or last October of 2020, obviously conditioned a bit his selling into the team because he could never get a proper run. And he's been unlucky with injuries throughout his time there. Um, 
The reason for that, I think, is the physicality and speed of English of Premier League football. Like, it is at a different level at the moment to every other league in the world. I think not in terms of quality. Um, you can make that argument separately, but I think it's to do with the pace of the game, the physicality of the game, and the intensity of the game. There's no winter break. The, the Christmas period is, you know, helter-skelter. And every single game you play, it's at a different intensity to what he would have been used to in Germany or in Spain, where the pressure is much higher, especially in the Liverpool team that was calamitous for a lot of last season. So it's difficult from, from that perspective, if that makes sense, coming from the coming from the Bundesliga. I would see that this season in England with, you know, Jaden Sancho, Leon Bailey, like these guys haven't settled at all so far. Um, so it's tough to make that adaption. I think if he's come back to Spain at this moment in his career, I think it will make sense for several reasons. I think his technical excellence would add another element to the Barcelona midfield. Um, obviously, you've Nico and Gavi, who are kind of those runners, you could say, who can kind of make things happen and kind of open doors. And I guess Frankie Young has played there as well at times. So I think that his best position is still as a deeper pivot. And that's where he'll play long term, I think, I hope. Um, but I think that Thiago, with his excellence in that number 10 role, I think he brings so much to Barcelona. Um, and while you could say there's you know, almost too many midfielders there at the moment to fit him in, because you've Nico, you've Gavi, you've Pedri and you've Frankie, I think that he'd be a worthwhile investment if the financials were correct. Because you know, he's a very impressive character. He's experienced. He's played in England. He's played in Spain. He's played in Germany as well. I think he still has a lot to add. And I'm a big fan of him as a player. And I think he'd bring a bit of maturity and a bit of, I don't know, kind of maybe technical arrogance to the team that's been lacking. Because while Gavi and Pedri and Nico are phenomenal, they're so exciting. I mean, Gavi last night, he was the best player on the pitch is Spain beat Sweden in a pivotal World Cup qualifier in his home city of Seville in front of 51,000 people at Akatuba, an expecting crowd. But he can't pin too much on them. They're only kids. Like Gavi's 17, Nico's 19, Pedri is 19. Uh, like you can't expect them to be delivering week in, week out. So if you have an experienced option like Sergio Roberto, as we know, Xavi wants to keep him, wants to retain his contract. Like Thiago, potentially, like Sergio Busquets, like Frankie de Jong, then you can give them breathers when they need it and they can be protected when they need to be protected because Koeman wasn't protecting them at all. He was throwing them into the, throwing them into the wolves, you could say. And while they coped admirably, if there was ever a fallow period for them where they're performing poorly and the crowd got on their back, and they began to question themselves, that could be detrimental to their development. I think at a club like Barcelona, you need more options, more senior options in the field. You can't rely on the kids that much this early, at this pivotal moment of the development for the club, for the team, and for them personally. So I think that while the financials could be questionable given his record, his injury record, I think if they can make it work, he'd be a worthwhile acquisition because he's a really good player. Well, that's the if, right? The if is if he can stay on the field. And you, you mentioned that point pretty clearly with Liverpool that... 24 Liverpool matches last year that were missed due to injuries or COVID. He also caught COVID, unfortunately. He played 30. That I mean, that's a lion's share of, of, of matches, but 24 missed last year. But then, as you mentioned, Bayern Munich, he was much better two seasons ago. Missed just eight matches, played 40 for Bayern Munich. The 18-19 season was seven missed matches, 42 he played. So those are good numbers. Those are totally fair numbers. That I think the idea that he's always injured is a bit unfair, actually going all the way back to his time at Barcelona when he left. I mean, he left a long time ago. It's a 2012-13 season. I was a younger man then. So, But uh, that there, even he missed 11 He missed eleven games and played 36. And that was, again, at the ripe old age of 22 when he left the club. And then the really the only point I have, the final point that I would ask our, our listeners, and you kind of hit it again. If Xavi wants to play the two pivots and he feels like De Young is really an interior, 
or he feels like Tiago is the interior. As you mentioned, you'd prefer to see Tiago as the 10. That's interesting because I'm actually looking at what he, the role he played for Bayern Munich, uh, not really so much the role he played for Liverpool, but the role he played for Bayern Munich. And I could see him wanting to use that being Xavi, Tiago as one of those two pivots. And if De Jong, again, as we said, is an interior, or even if Xavi plays him as a center back with three at the back, that being De Jong, I want to keep people's you know, minds open to that idea. That leaves just Busquets, Nico Gonzalez, and potentially Sergio Roberto for those two spots. And even Nico's been playing as an interior recently. And I, I think, again, people have to understand that Xavi might shake that up as well. And then again, Sergio Roberto, is he going to come back into the midfield as an interior, as a pivot? But if you want to have to ask yourself if there's just four players there being Busquets, Diego Gonzalez, and potentially Sergio Roberto for those two pivot spots, would you rather have Thiago or Roberto as one of those pivots? I mean, I, I'm not asking you to answer that question. I'm just, I'm, I think I know what the internet would say, right? We were on Twitter. We know what Twitter would say if it was Roberto or Thiago. And if you try to view and scope the midfield rotation as potentially that question, well, then Thiago makes a lot more sense if he can stay on the field. But again, can Barcelona take the risk of another player who just doesn't stay on the field? Because that currently is a major issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Sergio Roberto gets a lot of stick. And like, don't forget there was, you know, half credible rumors that Pep wanted to bring him to Man City last season. Like, and Pep is a pretty good judge of a player. Um, I think that a lot of Barcelona players have been given a raw deal in the last few years because they've been playing in you know, a team, especially since Kike Setien took over, that just was out of whack. I think the dressing room had too much power and the coach wasn't able to implement a strict style on the pitch. So they weren't a functional unit, if that makes sense. And I think that you know the performances of uh, Gavi and Pedri and Sergio Busquets for the Spanish national team under Luis Enrique where I really rate highly as a coach, shows that when you put these guys in a functional system, they can still deliver. Um, so I think that, you know, Sergio Roberto in this new Xavi system, we could see a new side to him if he can get his injury record in check. But I think that Xavi would approach this whole injury crisis that Barcelona are facing with almost a clean room um, approach because it's, it's just not normal the amount of injuries they're having. Like, you yeah. know, is it a fault of training or is it a fault of the medical staff or whatever? It shouldn't be happening. It's it's freakish the amount of injuries that Barcelona players are sustaining in recent months. So I don't know, but I think if I was to choose, yeah, I mean, I would pick Thiago Alcantara as that holding midfielder, especially in La Liga, because you know the majority of games Barca are playing, they're going to be the dominant side. They're going to be the team who are taking the game to the opposition, where the opposition sit back and play a low block. And I think in that kind of situation, playing Thiago as a pivot is a beneficial thing because he can hold the ball, he can spray the ball, he can pick the lock. With clever passes, you could leave the likes of you know Gavi and Pedri to be fleet-footed kind of runners in mm-hmm. the more advanced positions. Um, but I think also he's a role to play if you're playing against you know say a Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid or a, or a big European team like Chelsea or Man City or Liverpool. You could have a situation where you could have say Sergio Busquets and Sergio Roberto as those kind of holding midfielders, as those kind of defensive stalwarts, and then you could have Thiago in a more advanced role where he's got a bit less space to operate, perhaps, but he can do more damage and hurt players more. That could also be an option. So I don't know. I think it's all kind of speculative because we don't know how Xavi is going to set up, how he rates players. I and mean, we know he likes right. Sergio Roberto's goal. Um, so I'm interested to see against Espanyol and as the weeks progress, how he kind of sets up his team and who he likes and where he likes them and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, it's true. I don't know how I've made so much content in this two weeks before we finally had to get to see what Xavi's going to do. I also want to plug, I have uh, coming out on YouTube this week, a whole thing about his tactics. I'm trying a different, few different things with video, but that'll be fun. Anyway, 
We are told that this winter, Barcelona are looking to try to get three signings. Now, for those who know the finances, know that three seems like three too many players that Barcelona could afford. But for a Danny Alves, the number is already one. So now there's only two more signings, potentially. And if it is deals like Danny Alves, or if you could do one more deal like the Danny Alves deal, which again, is basically for free, and then you try to find a third player. But the third player that is being rumored about is Kareem Adeyemi, who's been rumored and connected to Barcelona for quite some time, two, three, four years now. Reportedly, even 2018 or 19, he said no to La Masia because he wanted to, he actually is originally a Bayern Munich product and he decided to sow his seeds in other places, which actually wound up being really good for his career. Right now, he's got 50, 15 goals and 22 appearances this season for Red Bull Salzburg. Transfer marked, which is, you know, we usually try to trust as 22 million at, at his market value, but even in a, a, a small market or let's say a market that has recorrected itself post-COVID, Alan, I feel like 22 is a bit low for Adegami. It feels low based on how expensive goals are. And he is one of the most promising, I think he's still 19, hasn't turned 20 yet. So he is one of the most promising teenage goal scorers in all of world football. And so 22 feels at like a small number. And now the two questions that I think people are rightfully asking is, does he want to stay in Germany? Well, he's in Austria right now, but does he want to go back to Germany or be in Germany where he is, you know, his country of origin? He wouldn't be a perfect fit at Dortmund, I think, once Holland left, though he's a lot like Daniel Malin and not as much like Holland. So I think it might be a bit repetitive that way. But Adigeme has a higher ceiling than Malin, who is now in his early 20s and he'll be entering his prime soon. The question, though, Kule is obviously asking, does he really want Barca? He said that he's a fan of Messi, but... So many young footballs, right? Uh, Vinicius Jr. said he was a fan of Messi, that he would, you know, he'd love to play with Messi, right, at Barcelona and all those things. So I think, I, I don't, not, not to say that we throw that out, but as far as Barcelona being the club of somebody's dreams, I mean, money talks quite a bit, especially for, there's a lot of different players, whether it's, what is it, Verts, who plays for Leverkusen, has said, oh, you know, I, I enjoy watching Barcelona. I grew up watching Barcelona play, of course. Like, he was six, seven years old when Pep Guardiola and Messi and, and Danny Alves and Xavi, yes, of course. Like, so many different people have said that. But yeah, the Adigemi, should I be throwing this out as, as far as I am, Alan, or do you think there's a little bit of credibility to this? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, what I will say is that, you know, I don't know if you know Jasmine Baba, but um, she, I worked with her a good few times in the past on various projects, and uh, she's a very well-respected voice in German football. And I had a conversation with her recently about, you know, why are so many Bundesliga players, as I mentioned earlier, kind of struggling when they come to, you know, a different league, the Premier League, and even like you players like Luka Jovic, who came to Real Madrid after scoring loads of goals with Eintracht Frankfurt, yeah. hasn't managed to get that. You have Jaden Sancho this season, you have Leon Bailey, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, the Timo uh, Werner as well as another case. And there's several of those players who are like that, who are kind of yeah. just truly hit the ground running. And she said it's because kind of the way the way that teams play in the Bundesliga is more conducive to allow a striker to score goals because it's more open. It's more, not that goals are cheaper there, but it's just goals are easier to come by in many ways, you know, especially when you're playing for a team who isn't, you know, the elite of the elite. You're not playing for Bayern Munich, for instance. And of course, Salzburg are a different proposition because they're playing in Austria. And, you know, they're one of the top teams in the league. And we've seen in the Champions League this season how good a side they are. But I'm just not entirely sure how well his promise that he's showed so far in Austria would translate to a situation like Barcelona's, which is more high tent, high, high, uh, high pressure. It's more intense. It's more expectant. Um, I spoke with Fabrizio Romano last week. And we're running a series of kind of interviews with him on Football España uh, across this week. And what he told me 
because, you know, I'd read in the Catalan press a few days previous that the three options that Xavi liked in those attacking positions were Ferran Torres, Raheem Sterling, and Danny Olmo. And he told me that the most likely of those three will be Danny Olmo, just yeah. because of where he's at in his career. You know, we saw him play for, for Spain last night, for Luis Enrique's La Roja. He did, did quite well. He's a kind of very positive player. He's very creative. He's not afraid to take on players and take on shots and goal. He's very intelligent. He speaks Croatian. He speaks Spanish. He speaks English too, I think. Um, he's an interesting prospect. Uh, obviously, Barcelona approached, had an approach for him last summer and um, reportedly didn't work out. Um, but I think that he's potentially the most likely scenario if they were to bring in that kind of wide player, that kind of attacker. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. More, Fabrizio said that he's much more likely than, especially, most definitely Ferran Torres. The Ferran Torres thing is a pipe dream. But, oh. you know, Ryan Sterling as well is quite a difficult one because of his wages, because of the status in the English player, how much he would cost and all that kind of thing. Um, whereas Daniel was maybe more likely option there. So I don't know. I mean, uh, God knows what Xavi and uh, Matteo Alemany is cooking up. And of course, Ramon Planes is even in the club too. So there'd be somebody coming in there. Maybe, I don't know, yeah. Carlos Puglia. So we'll see. But uh, I've not heard anything specific about uh, Ariemi, although he seems like an interesting prospect. But, you know, if I was Barcelona, I'm not sure I'd go for him as the cure to their ills, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if anything, though, you've set up a pretty good argument as to why Barcelona would potentially get him at that kind of number. If there were worries that he might not be able to adapt to a place like the Premier League, where, you know, if a Premier League side may be willing to spend 40 or 50 million on him, then obviously he's going to take that. But I mean, there's also, again, Dortmund or Bayern Munich could say, hey, well, we know that he can score in this kind of style, the Austrian league, the, the step up from the German Bundesliga from the Austrian league. We've seen with with uh, RB Leipzig that a lot of players can make that jump from Salzburg to RB Leipzig. He's also, again, in that that pipeline. So it might be a little uh, bit difficult to get him out of the the Leipzig pipeline. But yes, Denny Almo is the one that keeps being thrown about. And obviously the 70 million euros that we had heard for him over the summer are just, you know, a bit insane. When Barcelona, we know that they're going to be looking at the free agents is who they're going to be looking for starting those conversations with. And so if Danny Almo is not in any way reasonably, you know, possible financially, then that's just not going to happen. Well, anyway, so for Barcelona, they're going to Try to get more reinforcements in January. I think of all the Liga teams, there are some that will be looking for reinforcements, particularly the Hadafes of the world, the Levantes of the world that seem to be missing one or two pieces to survive in the Liga, but they're not going to potentially have the same financial medal. Now, I'm going to transfer this conversation to talking about the rest of La Liga. It's almost a where do you want to start? I'm going to lead you a little bit because I know that your, we'll say, home base other than Cork and Ireland is in Seville. But the teams above Barcelona, who had starting with this derby, Catalan derby against Espanyol this weekend, they're sitting on 17 points in ninth place, that is Barcelona, with 10th place Valencia on 17 points and 11th place Espanyol on 17 points as well. Real Sociedad, Real Madrid, Sevilla round out the top three with Sevilla a league best seven goals against. As much as Sevilla's attack has been exciting, their goal differential as far as the goals against has been their incredible mark this year. Atletico Madrid, I know we want to talk about there in fourth. And then Real Betis, Raya Vallecano, who just beat Barcelona. And then Osasuna, who of that top seven is the only one with a negative point differential. And Athletic Club is in eighth with their second or their league best, we'll say, or second in the league, eight goals against. So Athletic Club is actually defending again. And therefore, they're in the top half of the table. That's usually how it goes, right, with the Basque, the Basque group, that if they defend, then they can be in the top half. If they don't defend, they're in the bottom half. Of those teams, I, I think, obviously, we should start with the Seville derby. 
that you obviously were watching intently, Sevilla against Real Betis. And for Sevilla and Real Betis, I don't see either of those falling out of the top seven. But do you see cracks in, in their armor? Because really, I mean, basically I'm asking you, how is Barcelona go from ninth into the top four, right? How are they going to push into that next category and even top five or six at this point? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing about Ronald Koeman's reign, I had a problem with personally, was that he was always talking about, you know, this is what there is, as he kept saying, really, you know. And I think that that's just patently not true. I think that Barcelona should be in the top four, without a doubt. Their squad is good enough to be in the top four. And I'd be confident, given what I know about Xavi as a man, first and foremost, and the coach, that he'd be able to inject a bit of crucial positive momentum into that team and they'd be able to finish in the top four and get Champions League football for next season. I think that's going to happen. And then regarding the other teams, yeah, I think that, you know, both Seville clubs are an interesting moment because they both started the season well on paper. Although Sevilla's start, it was a case of results masking performances because they never really play convincing football. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play quite poor football, to be honest. They're kind of grinding out results, but never really clicking properly. Um, their form in Europe has been very, very poor. They're bottom of the Champions League group behind Wolfsburg, um, behind, sorry, behind Wolfsburg, behind Lille and behind Salzburg, actually, the Austrian team we were just talking about, um, you know, which is just not acceptable. They should be winning that group, to be honest with you, given their pedigree in European competition and given the players they have, given the depth of their squad, they should be winning that group 100%. But they're not performing in Europe for some reason, um, not mirroring their form in La Liga, at least. Um, but at the same time, that's the way they play under Lapetegui. They're very much a winning machine and they play results football. And that's fine when you're getting results, but once the results dry up, you begin to ask questions because there isn't that same philosophy or performance-based style that gets teams that aren't maybe getting consistent results excited, if that makes sense. But I think they're a, a strong team. I think they have a good squad. They've been unlucky with injuries this year. Yusuf Tenaziri has been out for a good period. Papa Gomez has had a knock. Um, I reckon that they'll still be there, thereabouts coming into the season. I backed them for a top four place, to be honest with you. Um, Real Betis similarly have you know started the season really well. They have a good team under Manuel Pellegrini. He's a very competent coach, very clever coach. No fancy tricks or no revolutionary formulas. Just kind of good sound principles, basically, that have lended itself to a strong team. And that's without spending much money in the transfer market either. Uh, but they have a good squad. You know, Sergio Canales is a very good player. Nabil Fekir is a very good player. Borja Iglesias. William Jose is a competent striker. Um, you know, they have good players there as well. Claudio Bravo is a seasoned competitor, as you know very well, coming from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a good squad. You know, I, I think they'll be in the hunt for Europa League places this season. And I back them to do it. I mean, obviously, this last week was rough for them. They took a 4 0 beating at the hands of Bar Leverkusen in the Europa League. Uh, they got hammered by Atletico Madrid 3 0 at the Wanda uh, the weekend before the international break, the weekend before the weekend before the international break. And then, of course, they lost the Derby 2-0 to Sevilla and their own turf, which was a, a pretty poor performance because, you know, playing in front of a packed Benito Villamarine, you'd expect them to do better and they never really showed any initiative. I mean, they got maybe a harsh red card, you could say, early in the game, but I still reckon they should have given more. But they never did. They never kind of took the game to Sevilla. They never applied any pressure. They didn't create many good chances. So I was disappointed with their performance, to be honest. But... Given that this window of the international break to kind of recuperate and recalibrate, I'd back them to come back stronger uh, once they kick off next weekend. And I, I'd back them to be there, they're both for the European places, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, that's why I reckon about the civil clubs anyway, at least. Yeah, the eight teams in front of Barcelona, as I said, with Osasuna in their negative goal differential, 
that should kind of throw them out of the top seven at some point. You'd expect that to happen Osasuna as you know, they're going to get good results at home, but, and they've also been picking up a few on the road, but Osasuna, I, th- I think will fall off. And then, you know, I can poke holes. I mean, the positive thing that I say, you know, obviously it's the Barcelona podcast, so I'm going to try to be positive. I'm going to try to take that kind of approach, but looking around the rest of the Liga, as much as I say, Oh, Barcelona uh, are in a way that there are a lot of teams that are better than Barca under Ronald Koeman. And that is true. And that is why Barca do justifiably sit in ninth. You watch their performance against Raya Baracano. You watch them in El Clasico. They're clearly a step below, or at least they were a step below. But you could easily talk me into this argument that if Barca were under Ronald Koeman with all their injuries in that crisis, they were the worst case scenario. And so they find themselves in ninth because they were hit with that kind of worst case scenario crisis, right? That even Real Madrid, who sit in second place right now, Vinicius Jr. is really putting it together with seven goals, but he has never sustained that goal scoring over the course of a season, which maybe he's turned the corner. He's now, you know, in his early 20s. So it's now time to maybe he's turned that corner. Or he's what? He's 20, 21. He's not, you know, not, not that old at all. He's just entering. 20, 22, 21, 22. Yeah, somewhere in there. And then Queen Benzema, 10 goals and seven assists. I think that is sustainable. I think Queen Benzema is just that good, leading both categories in the Liga. And Real Madrid still, though, are sitting in second. They could, they have a game in hand over Real Sociedad, so they could take first, sure. But Real Madrid certainly are not the best version of themselves that we've seen. But I still think they're going to finish top four, top two very easily. And we're not even worrying about them at all, if anything, because of the result in El Clasico early on. And then Atletico Madrid, rescuing themselves late, conceding more goals than normal. Somehow, Luis Suarez still has seven goals and still banging them in. And then for Espanyol, even behind Barcelona, ruled the Thomas with seven goals for them, kind of doing what they need to do. And then Rav Arcano, Radamel Falcao, putting them home, you know, feeling good, doing the right things. And Oscar Trejo, uh, setting it up. And then Falcao knocking them home, uh, that one-two punch. But you could easily talk me into the fact that all those teams have kind of had results go their way a bit in this first two months of the season. And Barcelona, every time there were points available, every time there were points to grab, they let those points go away. And if Barcelona just start winning just a little bit, 2-1, 1-0, it doesn't matter how they get the points. If Barcelona start changing some of those things, I mean, even Celta de Vigo, if they don't allow a goal a minute after extra time was supposed to be over to Iago Aspas, then they've walked away with three points. Instead, they walk away with one. And that those big differences of just getting results and whether it's pretty, whether it's perfect football, whether it's a different formation or our eyes are, you know, and our hearts are ablaze with this wonderment of what Xavi is capable of putting on the field. It doesn't matter. Really, it's just three points over and over and over again, week in, week out and midweek. And if Barcelona can do that, as I said, I I mean, I've kind of said about Barcelona, I think they still top four is possible. Top four is the goal. We're going to continue to push on all season long, but as far as all those teams that are in front of Barcelona, the one I didn't mention here was Real Sociedad. So with Real Madrid, Sevilla, and Atletico Madrid, and I guess you throw Real Betis in there too, between those four, Real Sociedad, who were first place in January last year and then completely fell off, they're the one team that I felt like is pretty foolproof. They've had a few bad performances this year, but they have easily been the most consistent team this season. They know exactly who they are. And then exactly how to fill holes in that system. And there, of all these teams, we've been mentioning individual players. I think Real Sociedad, you're talking about a system and a team more so than anything else. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And just, just before I begin talking about La Real, I just want to mention on the point you made about Barcelona. And I agree because I remember after the Celta Vigo game, Frankie Biang was saying that the players need to be braver and they need to be looking for the ball because when things got hot in the second half, and the momentum began to turn and Balairas began to get up a bit. There was players going into their shells, not demanding the ball, not creating spaces, not creating 
opportunities for other players to pass and not making themselves available. And that's a mentality shift. And Xavi has spoken about that in the past. He's spoken about, you know, players turning the mentality from the ball being a bomb to the ball being a treasure. And I think if he can correct that little mentality flick in the Barcelona squad, it'll make aeons of difference, you know. So I'm excited to see how he does there from a mental perspective as much as a tactical or a coaching perspective. I think that he'll really improve the mentalities. But yeah, I, I agree with you completely with, with, with La Real. I think they're a really, really good team. Um, obviously, last season, you're right, they started well and then kind of fail, fell off in the second half of the season. I remember speaking to Phil Ball uh, at the end of last season, who's a, a very well-respected voice. And we also said he did San Sebastian did in Donostia for many, many years. He follows the league very closely. He's a writer and all, all kinds of stuff. And he said to me that the difference between La Real and Sevilla, which is maybe the team La Real aspires to be, is a bit of grit, a bit of a kind of a grizzled nature. Um, his point was that Sevilla have those players. They have Jesus Navas, they have Ivan Rakitic, they have Fernando Reyes, they have you know, Diego Carlos, Lucas Ocampos, kind of tough men who kind of aren't, who being around, they've traveled around a bit and they kind of know what it takes to win matches as opposed to playing well they can win matches. And that's Sevilla's greatest strength for me is the, is the characters they have in their team as opposed to the quality they have in their team. And I think that Real Sociedad were lacking that last season. I reckon this season that's changed somewhat because of the natural development of their players. The group has been together for another year. And then realities of the COVID market means that they weren't able to be poached in a way they might have been if it was a normal situation. You, you yep. can imagine Barcelona signing uh, Alexander Isaac or Atletico Madrid signing Mikel Marino. Um, but that hasn't happened because of several reasons. And of course, Mikel Oyarzabal as well. You know? Yep. Like he's got really, really good players. Uh, but because of the COVID reality, they've kept the group together. Those players have got experience. Uh, Mikel Marino, Oyarzabal will both be in the Spanish squad for the World Cup, I'd imagine. I think they both deserve a place. Obviously, Oyarzabal is injured at the moment. Mikel Marino came on last night. Um, I think they're really, really good players. And I reckon that they'll, they, they've, they've done well by being around that group. and They've kind of learned from that group. Um, Alexander Izak has improved again this season. I think he's a really, really exciting player. Um, I think he could actually be the next kind of top young European striker because I remember watching him at La Cartuja in Seville in the European Championships. And I remember every time Sweden got the ball on the break, he was just frightening to watch because he had so much potency and ability. It was incredible to watch, you know. So it's such a frightening player to play against, I'd imagine. Um, so they have quality throughout the team, basically. You know, they're very intelligent central midfielders, uh, Zub Mendy and Guevara, guys who can just retain possession and can slow things down when they need to. Uh, they have a coach who knows the club inside out. And then he well plays too with Chabi Alonso, potentially taking over from him in the near future. Who knows, you know, to give him the job he's doing with the Real Sociedad B with uh, Sanchez. So I think, you know, it's great for La Liga that they're doing well because they're almost an ideal club in many ways. You know, such an investment in the youth system, such a commitment to a playing style, as you mentioned, and a kind of a, you know, root and branch approach that has served them very, very well and it even enabled them to compete against you know clubs with bigger budgets and bigger clubs than them. So I think it'd be good for La Liga to see them sustain their title race this season. And I'm interested to see if they will because I think that they're meant to be stronger than they were last season and they have an ability to do so. So we'll see now as the season gets into the, the business end once you get through winter, once you get to you know February, March, April because they're still involved in the Europa League you don't forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be difficult playing you know, Thursday night and then Sunday once things get to a crunch time. And don't forget, they were pasted pretty badly with Manchester United last season. That's 4 0 um, at Old Trafford. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think it would be really, really good for La Liga if they were to maintain that pace and kind of compete 
and you know towards the back end of the season being with a chance for a Champions League place. But I think it'd be difficult. I mean, if I was, if you were to ask me now who's going to win the league, I would say Real Madrid. That's why I'm back. Just because I think that the age of these players they have, you know, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Casemiro, Karim Benzema, like they, these are guys who know how to win. You know, Thibaut yeah. Courtois now as well. They know how to win. Uh, and I think Carletto is the kind of coach who can get the best out of those players. He's not going to play scintillating football. He's not Pep Guardiola. He's not uh, Jurgen Klopp. He's not Thomas Tuchel. But he is a coach who can get results. And I, I reckon that the way the season is going, the form of Barcelona, the form of Atletico, I, I will back them to win the title. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. But yeah, top four for Barcelona, as I said, continues to be the goal, not even winning the league. But that means if Real Sociedad do keep pace, that one of Real Madrid, Sevilla, or Atletico Madrid have to be the one to drop out to make room for Barcelona. So that is the big question that continues, I think, be the big question. And why I brought up and wanted to talk about the rest of the Liga with you, because, again, it's not always just always about Barcelona. It's about what's happening elsewhere and everybody else dropping points or not dropping points for all those different reasons. So, Alan, you were terrific, uh, of course. So I want to ask you where people can find more of your work. I already said Football España, but uh, in particular, what are you working on? Yeah, so you can get me on Twitter uh, at Azulfili, A-Z-U-L-F-E-E-H-E-L-Y. Um, and then, of course, Football España at Football España, lowercase space. I actually don't even know how to describe that, you know, that, that, that letter, that character, the kind of lowercase space or whatever. Um, but if you search Football España, it will come up, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that's where to find me, basically. Uh, at the moment, we're actually doing some interesting things. We're, we're kind of looking at the site, the tone of the site, um, and kind of looking to maybe change it a bit and get a bit more, maybe more serious and more in-depth in the work we do. Um, so we'll see. there's good things happening there busy at an administrative level and then of course keeping up to date with the news and you know working in various pieces and stuff like that um, very much looking forward to Xavi taking over at the weekend that will be a, a fascinating story for sure Yep. and just glad that we've made a positivity about Barcelona again because you know while it's you know there's lots of memes and stuff and the banter pages are enjoying Barca wallowing in misery you could say since uh, the A2 or before that even since Kike Sedian came in I think that it's important for Spanish football Barcelona are functional and moving in the right direction. And I think that, you know, no matter what, that's what's happening under Xavi Hernandez. I think the good times are hopefully going to be back soon. And it might take time for them to get up to speed that we expect from them. But I think they're going in the right direction again after quite a bit of time in, in stasis, you could say. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think the big picture for the Liga is that Barcelona and Real Madrid, if they're on the top of their game, it makes the Liga a lot better, yes. But then Atletico Madrid and Sevilla and Real Sociedad, you ask those teams to be pushing the top two as well. So it doesn't have to be a duopoly. It could be those two are actually flying high and everyone else is pushing them too. So that's the positive for the Liga is they as an entire league can get back to the top of the mountain, we'll have to say. But yes, of course, in the show notes, follow Alan on Twitter, Football España. You could all find that in the show notes. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. You know where to find us at the Barcelona Pod and closed Facebook group, Patreon, YouTube, you know the rest of it. So a lot of good stuff going on on our side. But more importantly, again, research the rest of the league. Learn about the rest of the teams that Barcelona are facing week in, week out to get top four. Educate yourself, and Football Spine is a perfect place to do that. So again, thanks so much for Alan, and thanks so much for you listeners for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon on Forza Barca. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.